take your copy of God's holy word and turn with me to the book of First Peter. First Peter chapter one verses ten through twelve. First Peter chapter one verses ten through twelve. Hear now the word of the living Christ. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what matter of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. This is the word of the living God, and we say, Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Merciful Shepherd, we pray now that you would feed us in the green pastures of your word. We pray that your spirit might awaken and enliven us this day. Grant us understanding, conviction, comfort, and guidance, we ask. Feed us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Among other things, what our passage of Scripture this morning tells us is this. What Old Testament prophets spoke of and studied... And what angels, even now in the throne room of heaven, gaze into longingly, that is what belongs to us as Christians. Let me say that one more time. What Old Testament prophets spoke of and studied and desired to see, and what angels, even now in the throne room of heaven, gaze into longingly, that is the very thing that is yours, Christian, and that is the glories of Christ-wrought salvation. It's cosmic, really. It's timeless, really. The salvation with which you and I are privileged with is that very accomplished Work of Christ that the prophets of old long to peer into and study and to seek out and to see happen. And that salvation, that gospel work coming to all peoples of every nation and tribe and tongue, our scripture passage declares to us that is the thing that angels gaze into longingly. With that in view, why would Peter say such a thing? at the beginning of this letter of Holy Scripture. Well, if you recall, verses 1 and 2 of our text reveal, as we just sang a few moments ago, that we are exiles. We're aliens and strangers in this world. If you're a Christian, you don't really ultimately belong here. It's not your home. But verses 3 through 5, if you remember, teach us that even though we're strangers and aliens, we're children of the Most High God, with an irrevocable, boys and girls, that means not able to be taken away, an irrevocable inheritance. 
And last week we saw in verses 6 through 9 that our temporary suffering works for glory on the great day of Christ's return. So now it is this salvation that makes us children. This salvation that is the ultimate reason why our faith is even tested through suffering. This salvation, Peter reveals, is a salvation of prophets and angels. And it's a salvation that has come to us. So it is, as Peter says in verse 10, of this salvation that we're discussing this morning. I want us to see two simple things. The first is the searching of prophets. The searching of prophets. Notice what Peter says. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That's a mouthful, of course. But it all speaks to what the Old Testament prophets were doing. Boys and girls, before Jesus came, there were many men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to give promises that Jesus was coming. And that's what Peter's speaking about here. Prophets, the text says, have inquired and searched In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, those same two phrases are used in Psalm 119, verse 2. An interest, an inquiry, a searching. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 makes clear to us that the prophets being spoken of here are not necessarily the New Testament prophets, but the Old Testament prophets. Notice it says, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, some translations say, to you all, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. There's something that has been reported to Christians now that the Old Testament prophets longed to know and to see and to study. These prophets, the text said, prophesied of the grace that would come to believers the grace that would come to believers. Notice their searching involved several things. They were searching what or what manner of time these things would happen. Are there any examples that we could quickly look at just to see an Old Testament prophet searching and inquiring? Turn with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel Chapter 8, we just finished our journey through this book. Just a couple of snippets from Daniel. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 15. Listen to one of the visions that Daniel, the prophet, receives. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning. But suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. If you remember the visions that Daniel received, they were all about the coming work of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Daniel receives these visions from angels, no less. He's interested. What does this mean? How about chapter 12 of the book of Daniel? Daniel 12 and verse 8. 
Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Verse 8, Daniel chapter 12. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? That's just one example of an Old Testament prophet receiving revelation from the living God and saying, I want to know what manner of time, what reality this is. Speaking of, this is not to say that the prophets had no understanding that they were speaking about the coming promise of the Messiah. But rather, there was a searching, there was a diligence, there was an interest. And notice what we read about these prophets in verse 11. They were doing this through the Spirit of Christ. Look at verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand. And then notice what these prophecies were about. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. This is the Holy Spirit, beloved, who is often called the Spirit of Christ. Acts 16.7, Galatians 4.6, Philippians 1.19. And just as an aside, notice what this means for us as we read our Old Testament portion of the Bible. When you read the Old Testament... You need to remember that it is revelation from God, but that it is related to Christ. It is the Spirit of Christ who gave Old Testament prophets revelation. The Old Testament is not an isolated book that we can disconnect from the whole of the work of God in saving a people from every nation and tribe and tongue. But what was this prophecy about? What was the what or the manner of time? Notice the next few phrases. Number one, the grace that would come specifically to Gentiles and to Jews, but to Gentiles. The grace that would come to you, Peter says. This is what the prophets longed to study. This is what they were interested in. The grace that would come to you. By grace here, he means the same thing. As verse 10, salvation. It's a different word, but he means the same thing here. The Old Testament prophets were inspired by the Spirit of Christ to, in advance, proclaim the promises that Jesus Christ was going to be the Savior who would save a people for God. But notice it gets even more specific. Not only were they prophesying about the grace that would come to believers in Peter's day and in our day. But he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Did you know that the New Testament, boys and girls, is not the first place that speaks about Jesus dying on a cross? The New Testament, boys and girls, is not the first place that talked about Jesus' resurrection, that he is the living God who assumed our flesh, The prophets of old prophesied not only God saving a people, but of the Messiah suffering and of the Messiah suffering and then glories that would follow. So was Peter 
is reminding believers who are, on the one hand, aliens in this world and who, on the other hand, are children of the living God who are suffering, sometimes immensely, for just a period of time that their faith may be tested. He says, this salvation that is yours is the salvation that prophets searched diligently. The prophets earnestly desired for this to come to pass. Listen to another Old Testament prophet, the book of Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what happens when he receives prophecy. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. What will you say, living God? What words do you speak? And what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak, and it will not lie, though it tarries. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. You get this picture of this Old Testament prophet waiting on the Lord. What will you say? What will you say, living God? I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm waiting for it. I long to see what you will say. And with the host of all the Old Testament prophets in one way or another, here is what God says. My king will be set on his holy hill. And he will bleed for sinners. And they will love him and he will love them. The prophets of old were longing to see what you and I have full revelation of. Do you think of your salvation this way, believe? It's timeless. You didn't come to Christ last year or 10 years ago or 30 years ago, as you might think, and it be an isolated incident on the blip of all of history. The salvation of God that he brings about in the face of Jesus Christ is a salvation that is timeless. The prophets of old were looking to see the day when God would gather a people from every nation and tribe and tongue. And when the suffering servant would suffer and enter into his glory. You sit in a church in 2023 as a saved, blood-sprinkled believer. And that reality is a reality that the prophets of old were almost, if I could say it this way, jealous in a holy way to see happen. But that's the searching of the prophets. Notice there's more as it's discussed in verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves. It wasn't that they weren't included. (laughs) It just wasn't only about them. Not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who preach the gospel to you. The Old Testament is not complete without the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament was not a Jewish thing. The Old Testament was not building a a temple in the land in the Middle East. No, all of that was preparatory. It was a ministry of Abraham's family and Moses' nation who would bring about Christ, who saved every one of them who had faith in him and every one of us who has faith in him. 
But notice, Peter says not only was it the Spirit that gave them the words of prophecy, but notice what he says next. Which now have been reported to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's as if Peter is reminding us that both revelation of scripture and gospel proclamation happens by the work of the Spirit. They're not exactly the same thing. The Lord God inspired holy men of old, boys and girls, to write down what they wanted to write down, yes, but what God wanted to have written down. His word inscripturated for us. That's done by the Holy Spirit. But as the gospel is proclaimed and people come to Christ, it is a work of the Spirit of God. You see, even now, as various times in this service through my mouth or another brother's mouth, you hear the words of Christ, you hear them with our voice. But if you believe them savingly in your heart, it is the Holy Spirit of God who is preaching Christ to your soul. The searching of prophets. What were they looking into? The promise that one day every nation and tribe and tongue would be gathered together through the sufferings and glories of the Son of God. This ought to help us as we think about interpreting our Old Testament also. You remember in Luke chapter 24 and verses 44 and following, Jesus has that encounter on the road to Emmaus with some disciples. And the text says very clearly that as he began to teach them from Moses and the prophets, the text says to us there that all of those things, Moses and the prophets, had to do with Jesus. They're about me, Jesus says. The prophets, they're pointing to me. Moses in his work, he's pointing to me. When we read the Old Testament, we need not read it as simply a book full of morals. We need not read it as a book that only belongs to one particular ethnic group. We need not read it as a book that has to do with only law. Rather, as the glorious proclamation of something that is coming. And now has come. So we see Peter speaking of the searching of the prophets. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary on this passage says this, quote, Peter's main point throughout is that believers in Jesus Christ are incredibly blessed to live in the time when the predictions of the prophets have come to pass. End quote. Our salvation was the theme of the searching of the prophets. But Peter doesn't stop there. He adds one more phrase, doesn't he? It's not just the prophets that had a longing to see and to understand what was to come. Our second theme is the gaze of angels. The gaze of angels. Notice what Peter says next. Things, what things? The grace that was to come to you. The sufferings of Christ. The glories that would come. The salvation of his people. Those things. Things which angels desire to look into. 
So not only does Peter give us the reality that the salvation that we now have, the completed work of Christ, all of the promises happening, not only was it the searching of the prophets, but it is the gaze of angels, boys and girls, gaze, something you look at, something you enjoy looking at and looking into. This is the gaze of angels, Peter says. What does he mean? See, the blessing that we are experiencing is not just that we are experiencing what the prophets longed to see, but also something that angels desire to look into. That Greek word, if we could translate it really literally, probably wouldn't make the best English, but it could be translated something along the lines of things which angels bend over to look at. Angels glory in God's saving work. But they do not experience it personally. Jesus did not die for angels. His redemptive work, of course, impacts angels. But Jesus Christ took on the form of a servant. He assumed our humanity. He did not put on an angelic nature and bleed for rebellious demons. Angels gaze into, they look into this reality. Listen to what John Calvin, 1500s, writes about this passage. Paul says that the calling of the Gentiles... The wonderful wisdom of God was made known to angels, for it was a spectacle to them. When Christ gathered into one body the lost world, alienated for so many ages from the hope of life, thus daily, and he's speaking about angels, thus daily they see with admiration the magnificent works of God in the government of his church. How much greater will their admiration be at witnessing the last display of divine justice when the kingdom of Christ shall be completed? End quote. You have to remember, the scripture doesn't give us all that there is, of course, to know about angels, nor should it. It's not the theme of scripture. But you have to remember, boys and girls, angels are not God. They don't know all things. They're learning like us. This very moment, whatever that looks like in the glories of heaven, this very moment, there are angels who are learning. We often think, well, they're in heaven, so they know the whole thing. They know the end from the beginning. The only being that knows the end from the beginning is the living God. So Peter is picturing here angels, servants of God, some of which cover their face and cover their feet, And sing praises to God day after day. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. These angels are longingly looking into the fact that the God that they declare is holy puts on our nature and dies for unholy ones. And this they long to look into. Now, the scripture gives us just a few examples of of angels looking into things. We saw this when we looked at Daniel. 
But briefly, just for a moment, Ephesians 3.10 reminds us that angels learn as redemptive work unfolds. Angels learn as redemptive work unfolds. Ephesians 3.10, listen to this. Paul says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Angels are learning the mystery of Christ and his glory. Of course, who can forget that famous passage in Luke 15:10 that angels rejoice over one sinner that repents. And if you take some time to read 1 Corinthians 11 or 1 Timothy 5, you'll be greeted with the fact that angels are actually involved in and are looking as the church gathers and worships. Christ has gathered us here on his day. He Stands among us, Hebrews 2. And the angels of heavenly glory are peering into with expectation the salvation of souls and the work of Christ's people. In fact, 1 Corinthians connects this idea to the discussion of women in the church and the covering of heads. And First Timothy connects this in some way to the order of the church. The gaze of angels. So you're, you're suffering as an alien, as a pilgrim, as a stranger. Your birth certificate is stamped, headed for glory. Christ's own, purchased with his blood. And as you suffer... That the tested genuineness of your faith may resound and result in praise, honor, and glory. As you are suffering, don't forget that the salvation that you currently have is a salvation that the Old Testament prophets desperately wanted to see. And we're looking into. And that salvation, even now, is a salvation which the heavenly angels glory in looking into. You see, the salvation of your soul is not an individual affair. It's a cosmic one. And it's timeless. One other example on the last page of Holy Scripture. (coughs) Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. You will remember that the Apostle John receives the final word of Revelation, as it were. There we read this. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. 
And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. We don't have time to to parse that out, but just so you're understanding with me the, the immense reality of that statement. I am your fellow servant. These are creatures created with blazing glory that comes from the living God. With one word, at the command of Christ, they work. These creatures are the ones that just about every time they're seen in Scripture, people either uh, fall down or cover their faces or are afraid. And what does the Bible actually say about them? They serve us in the work of Christ. And they look longingly into our salvation. Now, beloved, don't make a mistake. They're not looking at you with longing eyes. They're looking at the Savior and the glories of what he's done. And I don't know what angelic communication looks like. We don't need to speculate. But somehow, in some way, in a sinless way, these creatures are saying to themselves and perhaps to one another, the Lamb of God who truly takes away the sin of the world. Back in Revelation, John is corrected. Don't fall down in front of me and worship, for I am your fellow servant and, who else? And of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Do, do, do we not want to just linger here all day in the reality that the work of Christ in the saving of wretched sinners who have rebelled against the living God? Sinners which in other places it seems as though the hosts of heaven are ready with just one word to wipe out because they're offensive to the living God. It is these sinners... That Christ has saved by his own precious blood. And the prophets of old were inquiring into this finished reality that would come. And the angels of heaven desire to look into these things. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, we need not think that angels in Old Testament times had it all worked out. As if they were on mission. They're learning the mysteries of Christ as it unfolds. Imagine. On the one hand, they cover their face and they say, He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. And in their mind's eye, they also desire to look into the fact that the Holy Son of God put on our nature and died for us. 
what the prophets long to see and what angels look into with great interest is what you have, Christian. Now, Peter is going to give some application. If I were better at speaking quickly, perhaps we could have another sermon here, but that will wait for next week. But just notice what his application is going to be. Therefore, verse 13, in view of these things, including the fact that prophets long to see the day and angels long to look into this, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And every time in the book of Peter that you read that phrase from here on out, you ought to say, yes, I can rest my hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to me because this was the very grace of which all of the Old Testament prophets longed to look at. They were waiting. They were ready, like Habakkuk. And this grace that is to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ, angels are looking into intently. Then he says, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay, or you could translate that, your sojourning, your exile, conduct yourself in fear. And then, I will try to save this for next week, but then notice the, the impetus, the foundation for seeking to be holy and to living in the fear of God. What is it? Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like gold or silver from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But here it is with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Prophets longing to see the sufferings of Christ and angels gazing into it leads Peter to say, pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. How do you do that? Well, you regularly remember that Christ, the one of whom these angels constantly sing holy, Led for you. Perhaps a couple of words as we close, just by way of reminders, they're not even new points. The Old Testament, beloved, is about Jesus. Don't forget it. Your salvation is a timeless and a cosmic thing. Don't forget it. And the Christian, as we see in our text, is among all people, privileged beyond measure. Privileged beyond measure. There will come a day when angels indeed will serve, and even in some way that we know not fully of and be judged by us, 
And they will delight to do so. Because to them it will be another finished sight of what Jesus has accomplished. If you're here today and you're a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, rejoice. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you haven't trusted him. Listen, friend. The history of the world doesn't revolve around world rulers or cultural movements or technology. The history of the world to include cosmic realities that are just beyond the veil of our vision. The history of the world is that God is saving people who have rebelled against him, who have denied him, who have rejected him. And this God that we heard of earlier from Psalm 111, who is full of grace and compassion, has sent his son. He put on our nature, didn't lose a bit of his divinity, but assumed a full and complete humanity and walked dirty and dusty streets, never once failing, always glorifying God. And his footsteps on those dirty, dusty streets took him past the stench and the evil of sinful people. But he went nonetheless to the cross that there the worst of sinners could have their sins atoned for and washed away. This, this is the pinnacle of human history. And the angels of heaven, the wise men of old, have all waited to see it. And it's here. And every time the message of Christ dying for sinners and offering himself to any who will come to him, any time that is proclaimed, Christ is offered. What did we hear our brother read this morning? Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus says elsewhere, if you come to me, I will not push you away. So who will you believe? Who will you believe? Your own conscience which condemns you? Satan who desires to destroy you? The voice of others who may come to you with seeming words of wisdom but who care not for your soul? Or will you hear the words of Christ, the eternal Son of God, the one that angels worship, who said, I will have you. Repent of your sin. Turn from it. Why do you hold on to it? You ever thought about the fact that Jesus telling us to leave our sin is not just a command about the evilness of our sin, but it's also a loving word. Leave it. Leave it, he says, and come to me. Cast yourself onto me and I will have you for all of eternity. I will sprinkle you with my blood. I will wash you will baptize you by my spirit and make you my own child and seat you at my table. Oh, sinner, why will you stay away from such a savior? Come. You say, I don't know how to come. Scripture tells you, repent of your sin. You say to yourself, I'm not holding on to anything else. My faith, my trust for eternal salvation is in Christ alone. So I'm just coming to him. You don't even look at your faith. 
You don't even say to yourself, do I believe strong enough? Do I believe hard enough? You just look to Christ. You come to him. You trust him. You believe that he will have you as he says that he will. Fall down before him and you say, oh, righteous, loving Savior, I deserve not your grace, but you have given me warrant to come. So you come. This is the privilege of the gospel, which prophets couldn't wait to see happen. And angels are overjoyed to see occur. Let's pray. Living God, help us to rightly comprehend the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we truly, as your people, can only say all that we have is Christ. Lord, we pray that your spirit might renew assurance and faith and hope in the hearts of his people here today. And we pray that if any are here who do not know Christ, they will see their utter need for him. That in their own righteousness, they cannot come before a holy God. But that God has come to them and offered to be their complete and perfect substitute. Have your way among us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.